Section 4 of Atala by Francoise René de Chateaubriand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by William Jones, Bonita Springs, Florida. Section 4. Chapter 1. The Hunters. Part 3. Every evening we lighted a large fire and built a traveling hut of bark raised upon four stakes. When I had killed a wild turkey, a pigeon, or a wood pheasants, we attached it to the end of a pole before a pile of burning oak, and left the care of turning the hunter's prey to the caprices of the wind. We used to eat a kind of moss called rock tripe, sweetened bark, and may apples, that tasted of the peach and of the raspberry. The black walnut tree, the maple tree, and the sumac furnished our table with wine. Sometimes I went and fetched from amongst the reeds a plant whose flower, in the form of an elongated cup, contained a glass of the purest dew. We blessed heaven for having placed this limpid spring upon the stalk of a flower, in the midst of the corrupted marshes, just as it has placed hope at the bottom of hearts ulcerated by grief, just also as it has caused virtue to well up from the bosom of the miseries of life. I soon discovered, alas, that I had deceived myself as to the apparent calm of my beloved Atala. The further we advanced, the sadder she became. She frequently shuddered without a cause, and turned her head aside hurriedly. I sometimes caught her regarding me with a passionate look, which she at once cast toward the sky with a profound melancholy. What alarmed me above all, was a secret thought concealed in the bottom of her soul, but which I read in her eyes, constantly drawing me towards her, and then pushing me away, reanimating my hopes, and then destroying them when I thought I had made some progress in her heart. I found myself still at the same point. How many times she said to me, Oh, my young sweetheart, I love you like the shade of the woods at midday. You are as beautiful as the desert, with all its flowers and all its breezes. If I incline towards you, I tremble. When my hand falls upon yours, it seems to me as though I were about to die. The other day the wind blew your hair upon my face, as you were reposing yourself upon my bosom, and I fancied I felt the light touch of the invisible spirits. Yes. I have seen the young kids of the mountains of Okona. I have listened to the language of men ripe with years. But the mildness of goats and the wisdom of old men are less agreeable and less powerful than your words. Ah, my poor Chaktas, I shall never be your spouse. The constant struggle between Atala's love and religion her tender freedom and the chastity of her conduct, the pride of her character and her profound sensitiveness, the elevation of her soul in great things, her susceptibility about trifles, rendered her, in my opinion, an incomprehensible being. Akala could not hold a weak empire over a man. Full of passion, she was full of power. She must either be adored or hated. After fifteen nights of hurried march, 
we entered upon the chain of the Allegheny Mountains, and reached one of the branches of the Tennessee, a river that falls into the Ohio. Aided by the advice of Atala, I built a boat, which I coated with plum-tree gum, after having re-sawn the bark with the roots of the fir. I subsequently embarked therein with Atala, and we abandoned ourselves to the current of the river. The Indian village of Stikoi, with its pyramidal tombs and ruined huts, appeared on our left at the turn of a promontory. On the right we left the valley of Kio, terminated by the perspective of the cabins of Jore, which seemed to be suspended from the forehead of the mountain of the same name. The river, which carried us along, flowed between high cliffs, at the extremity of which we perceived the setting sun. The profound solitudes were not disturbed by the presence of men. We only saw one Indian hunter, who, leaning motionless upon his bow on the peak of a rock, looked like a statue raised upon the mountain to the genius of those deserts. Atala and myself added our silence to the silence of this scene. All of a sudden the daughter of exile filled the air by thus singing, in a voice replete with melancholy emotion of her absent country. Happy are they who have not seen the smoke of foreign festivals, and who have never been seated elsewhere than in the rejoicings of their fathers. If the blue jackdaw of the Mississippi were to say to the nonpareil of the Floridas, Why dost thou complain so sadly? Hast thou not here beautiful waters and lovely shades and all sorts of pastures as in thine own forest? Yes, would reply the fugitive nonpareil, but my nest is in the jessamine. Who will bring it to me? And the son of my savannah, where is it? Happy are they who have not seen the smoke of foreign festivals, and who have never been seated elsewhere than at the rejoicings of their father. After hours of painful wayfare, the traveller sits down in sadness. He sees around him the roofs of men's habitations, but has no place wherein to repose his head. The traveller knocks at a cabin, places his bow behind the door, and asks for hospitality. The master makes a gesture of the hand. The traveller takes back his bow and returns to the desert. Happy are they who have not seen the smoke of foreign festivals, and who have never been seated elsewhere than at the rejoicings of their fathers. Wondrous stories told around the hearth, tender effusions of the heart, long habits of loving so necessary to life, you have filled the days of those who have not quitted their natal place. Their tombs are in the land of their birth, with the setting sun, the tears of their friends, and the charms of religion. Happy are they who have not seen the smoke of foreign festivals, and who have never been seated elsewhere than at the rejoicings of their fathers. Thus sang Atala. Nothing interrupted the course of her lamentations, except the almost imperceptible sound of our boat upon the waves. In two or three places only were they taken up by a weak echo, which repeated them to a second 
and the second to a third, faintly and more faintly still. It seemed as though the souls of two lovers, formerly unfortunate like ourselves, and attracted by the touching melody, were enjoying the pleasure of sighing forth the dying sounds of its music in the mountain. Nevertheless, the solitude, the constant presence of the beloved object, even our misfortunes, increased our affection from one instant to another. Atala prayed continuously to her mother, whose irritated shade she seemed as though wishing to appease. She sometimes asked me if I did not hear a plaintive voice and see flames issuing out of the earth. As for myself, exhausted with fatigue, but still burning with desire, and thinking that I was perhaps irretrievably lost in the midst of those forests, I was hundred times upon the point of drawing my spouse into my arms, and a hundred times I did urge Atala to allow me to build a hut upon the riverside, so that we might bury ourselves therein together. But she always resisted my propositions. Remember, my young friend, she would say, that a warrior owes himself to his country. What is a woman compared to the duties you have to fulfill? Take courage, son of Utalisi, do not murmur against your destiny. The heart of man is like a river sponge that imbibes pure water during the calm weather and is swollen with muddy liquid when the sky has troubled the waves. Has the sponge the right to say, I thought there would never be any storms, that the sun would never be scorching? Oh, Rene, if you fear the trials of the heart, be upon your guard against solitude. The great passions are solitary, and to transport them to the desert is to restore them to their triumph. Overcome with cares and fears, exposed to the danger of falling into the hands of Indian enemies, to be swallowed up by waters and stung by serpents, devoured by beasts, finding the poorest nourishment with difficulty, and not knowing whither to direct our steps, it seemed impossible for our misfortunes to be greater, when an accident brought them to a climax. It was the twenty-seventh sun since our departure from the cabins. The moon of fire had commenced her course, and everything announced a storm. Towards the hour when the Indian matrons hang up the plough-handle to the branches of the sabin-tree, when the paraquets retire into the howls of the cypress, the sky began to be overcast. The voices of the solitude died away, the desert became silent, and the forests were reposing in the mists of a universal calm. Shortly after, the rollings of a distant thunder, prolonged through the woods as old as the world, reissued from them with sublime sounds. Fearful of being submerged, we hastened to reach the bank of the river and withdrew into a forest. The ground in this place was marshy. We advanced with difficulty under a vault of smilax, amidst vines, indigo plants, bean trees, and creeping ivy that entangled our feet like nets. The spongy soil trembled around us, and at each instant we were on the point of sinking into the quagmires. Insects without number and enormous bats blinded us. Bell serpents 
were hissing in every direction, and wolves, bears, caricatures, and young tigers came to hide themselves in these retreats, made them resound with their warrings. Meanwhile the darkness increased. The lowering clouds were entering beneath the leafy covering of the woods. Suddenly the sky was rent, and the lightning traced a rapid zigzag of fire. A violent wind from the east rode clouds upon clouds. The forest bent, the sky opened time after time, and from between the interstices other skies and ardent scenes might be perceived. What a frightful, what a magnificent spectacle! The lightning set fire to the forest, the conflagration extended like a headdress of flame, columns of sparks and of smoke besieged the clouds which were vomiting their flashes into the vast burning mass then the great spirit covered the mountains with heavy darkness and from the midst of this chaos there rose a confused moaning formed by the rushing of the winds the crackling of trees the howling of wild beasts the buzzing of the inflamed vegetation and the repeated fall of thunderbolts hissing as they died out in the waters the great spirit knows that at this moment i saw and thought of nothing but atala i managed to guard her against the torrents of rain by placing her beneath the inclining trunk of a birch-tree under which i sat holding my well-beloved upon my knees and warming her naked feet between my hands and thus i found myself happier than the young spouse who feels her future offspring quiver in her bosom for the first time We were listening to the sounds of the tempest, when all of a sudden I felt one of Atala's tears fall upon my breast. "'Storm of the heart!' I cried to myself. "'Is it a drop of your rain?' Then embracing her I loved, I said, "'Atala, you are concealing something from me. Open your heart to me, O beauty. It does one so much good when a friend looks into one's soul.' tell me this secret of grief which you persist in hiding from me ah i see you are weeping for your country she immediately retorted child of men why should i weep for my country since my father came not from the land of palms what i replied with profound astonishment your father was not from the land of palms what was he then who brought you upon this earth reply atala answered with these words before my mother brought to the warrior simagon as a marriage portion thirty mares twenty buffaloes a hundred measures of nut oil fifty beaver skins and a quantity of other riches she had known a man of white flesh now the mother of my mother threw water in her face and forced her to marry the magnanimous simagan who was likened to a king and honored by the people as a genius but my mother said to her new spouse my bosom has conceived kill me simagan replied to her may the great spirit preserve me from such an action i will not mutilate you I will neither cut off your nose nor your ears, because you have been sincere and have not betrayed my couch. 
the fruit of your bosom shall be my fruit and i will not visit you till after the departure of the bird of the rice fields when the thirteenth moon shall have shone about that time i issued from my mother's bosom and i began to grow proud as a spaniard and as a savage my mother made me a christian so that her god and the god of my father might also be my god afterwards love-sickness fell upon her and she went down into the little pit furnished with skins from which no one ever comes out such was atala's story and who was your father then poor orphan i said to her how was he called by men upon earth and what name did he bear among the genii i never washed my father's feet said atala i only know that he lived with his sister at st augustine and that he ever remained faithful to my mother philip was his name amongst the angels and men called him lopez at these words i uttered a cry which re-echoed throughout the solitude the somies of my transports mingled with those of the storm pressing atala to my heart i exclaimed with sobs o oh, my sister o oh, daughter of lopez daughter of my benefactor atala alarmed sought to ascertain the cause of my agitation but when she learned that lopez was the generous host who had adopted me at st augustine and whom i had quitted in order to be free she was herself stricken with joy and confusion this fraternal friendship which came upon us and joined its love to our love was too much for our hearts already i had intoxicated myself with her breath already i had drunk all the magic of love upon her lips with my eyes raised toward heaven amidst the flash of the lightning i held my spouse in my arms in the presence of the eternal splendid pomp worthy of our misfortunes and of the grandeur of our loves superb forest that shook your creeping plants and your leafy domes as though they were to be the curtains and the canopy of our couch overflowing river roaring mountains frightful and sublime nature were you then but a combination prepared to deceive us and could you not for one moment conceal a man's felicity amidst your mysterious horrors suddenly a vivid flash followed by a clap of thunder ran through the thickness of the shades filled the forest with sulphur and light and rent a tree close by us we fled oh surprise in the silence which followed we heard the sound of a bell both speechless we listened to the sound so strange in a desert at the same instant a dog barked in the distance it approached redoubled its cries came up to us and howled with joy at our feet an old hermit carrying a small lantern was following the animal through the darkness of the forest heaven be praised he cried as soon as he perceived us i have been looking for you a long time our dog smelt you as soon as the storm commenced and has guided me hither poor children how young you are and how you must have suffered come i have brought a bear-skin it shall be for this young woman and there is some wine in our gourd 
Let God be praised in all his works. His mercy is great and his goodness is infinite. Atala threw herself at the feet of the monk. Chief of prayer, said she to him, I am a Christian. Heaven has sent you to save me. My daughter, said the hermit, raising her up, we usually ring the mission bell during the night and during tempests to call strangers, and in imitation of the example of our brethren of the Alps and of the Liban, we have taught our dog to discover lost travelers. I scarcely understood the hermit. This charity appeared to me so much above man that I thought I was dreaming. By the light of the little lantern the monk was holding in his hand, I saw that his beard and hair were saturated with water. His feet, his hands, and his face were bleeding from their encounters with the brambles. "'Old man!' I at length cried. "'What sort of heart have you, that you did not fear being struck by the lightning?' "'Fear?' retorted the father, with a certain ardor. "'Fear, when men are in danger, and I can be useful to them?' I should in that case be an unworthy servant of Jesus Christ. But do you know, I interrupted, that I am not a Christian? Young man, replied the hermit, did I ask you your religion? Jesus Christ did not say, My blood shall wash this one or that one. He died for the Jew and for the Gentile, and he only considered all the races of men as brothers in misfortune. What am I now doing for you is but little, and you would find elsewhere plenty of other help, but the glory of it should not fall upon the priests. What are we poor hermits, if not the coarse instruments of a celestial work? And what soldier would be cowardly enough to retreat when his chief with the cross in his hand and his forehead covered with thorns marches before him to the assistance of suffering humanity? These words went to my heart. Tears of admiration and tenderness fell from my eyes. My dear children, said the missionary, I govern in these forests a little flock of your wild brethren. My grotto is not far from here, in the mountains. Come and warm yourselves under my roof. You will not find the conveniences of life there, but you shall have shelter, and you should thank the divine goodness even for that, for there are many men who are without it. End of section four, The Hunters, part three.